Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Scripture reading this morning is going to be Luke chapter 19, verses 45 through 46. If you're using one of the Blue Pew Bibles, uh, you will find those verses on page 879. Luke 19, verses 45 through 46. On the first Sunday of Advent, we saw that Jesus' birth was announced as good news of great joy for all people because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. On the second Sunday of Advent, we saw how we must live as we await for our Savior and King to return. And on the third Sunday of Advent, we saw that Jesus wept as He rode into Jerusalem. For even though he came to bring peace, he knew that the people would not receive the peace that he came to bring because they would not receive him as their king. This morning, on the fourth and final Sunday of Advent, we will see Jesus in the temple and we will be challenged by his words of rebuke. Now, admittedly, this has not been a a traditional Advent series, and these have not been traditional Christmas passages, but I I think you will see, as we have seen with the other passages this morning, this is a passage that shows us Jesus. It shows us who this child is, and it shows us why it is that we celebrate His birth. So let us read it together. Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 45. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. That is the reading of God's word. Let us pray and ask for his blessing upon the reading of his word here this morning. Father God, we do ask that you would Open our minds and our hearts to the truth of your word this morning. That the same spirit who inspired Luke to write these verses would now be at work in us. That we might know and understand. That we might see Jesus. And that we might adore and worship him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christmas. Is a merry time of year. You, you hear it everywhere as, as people greet one another with the, the familiar phrase, Merry Christmas. It is a time when people remember that God so loved the world that He gave His Son to dwell among us. It is a time when, when people marvel at the, the wonder of Emmanuel, God with us. However, in the joy and wonder of the Christmas season, it is all too easy to forget that Jesus' birth is the best of news for those on whom His favor rests. But that His incarnation is no guarantee of entering into that blessing. And so this this morning, I I want us to, to hear Jesus' warning against what Jeremiah calls deceptive words. I want us to hear his warning so that we might know and understand how to enter into the true joy of Christmas. And we will see this in this brief account that Luke gives us of Jesus in the temple. Look again with me at the verses before us. 
We're told in verse 45 that, that Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold. Now, if we're not careful, we might let the brevity of the account uh, confuse us. It might make us miss the significance of what is going on here because we need to see that what Jesus is doing is a very big deal. In fact, it's it's hard for us to, to think of a comparable contemporary event. What Jesus does here is something like a protester entering the National Basilica on, on Easter Sunday when all of the national leaders, the senators and the representatives and, and maybe even the, the president are gathered for worship. So imagine a, a, a protester entering into the basilica on such an occasion and preventing the priest from saying the Mass. That is something like what Jesus is doing here Or we might say that it's something like like Jesus entering the National Stock Exchange or the New York Stock Exchange and and preventing them from ringing the bell to open trading for the day. Or we might even say that it's something like a protester in Times Square on New Year's Eve preventing them from pressing the button that drops the ball to ring in the new year. It's actually something like a combination of all of those events because what Jesus does here in the temple as he, as he drives out those who sell, it has religious, it has economic, it has cultural overtones. It is a very big deal. And yet while it is a big deal, it's not always exactly clear what it is that Jesus is doing. Yes, he's driving out those who sold, but what exactly does that mean? Who are these people selling In the temple. But what we need to understand is that they are selling animals pre-approved by the priests to be offered as sacrifices. One can imagine that the pilgrims who came to Jerusalem for the, the, the annual feast would have a harder time getting their animals approved than the animals that were already pre-approved in the courtyard. It's simply the way of the world. You, you see, the priests, they wanted the pilgrims to buy the animals that were being sold there because that's how they made their money. That's how they made their, their profit. And so they were going to look askance at any animal brought by... The pilgrims, and so most people didn't even bother. They, they didn't even try to bring their own animals. They just simply uh, consigned themselves that they were going to have to buy the animals sold in the temple at the ridiculously high market prices. That's what's going on in the temple. But those who sold also include those who are exchanging money. Because not only do the pilgrims need to buy the animals being sold in the temple, but they also need to buy them with the right currency. They need to buy them with the temple money. And the temple tax that they had to pay could only be paid with that same currency. And so the people who came to the temple had to exchange their foreign currency for the approved temple money. So they could buy the animals, so they could pay the tax, so that they could worship. And no doubt the priest made a pretty penny off the exchange rates too. And so these are the people that Jesus is forcefully driving out of the temple courts. And he is doing it forcefully. Matthew and Mark mention overturning tables and and preventing people from, from passing through. And so some degree of violence is involved here. In fact, John, who describes a similar event earlier in Jesus' ministry, mentions wielding a whip. And so there's a good chance that that Jesus has a whip on this occasion too. And all that strikes us as a little out of character for for Jesus. We're not used to seeing Jesus throwing tables over and, and wielding a whip in the temple. And yet, it's not hard for us to understand why he is so angry. 
When we see what is going on, when we we see the extortion that is being carried out by the priests, when we understand that those who were supposed to be leading the people in worship, those who, who were supposed to be leading the people into the presence of God, were instead robbing them and defrauding them and and stealing from them. It is no wonder that Jesus is so angry. It's no wonder that, that Jesus calls the place a den of robbers. And yet, I want to suggest to you this morning that Jesus' motivation is more complex than it appears at first glance. No doubt Jesus is angered by the extortion that He sees going on in the temple But we need to understand that he is protesting something more profound than economic injustice. We see this when we look more closely at what Jesus actually says to explain his actions. So look with me at verse 46. As Jesus is driving out those who sold, he says, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of of robbers. As I said, given what was going on in the temple, it is easy for us to see it as a den of robbers. It is, it is easy for us to think that, that Jesus is condemning all the, the buying and selling that was going on. But I want us to see that Jesus is protesting more than economic injustice and religious malpractice. We see this when we recognize that Jesus is actually piecing together two Old Testament prophecies. My house shall be called a house of prayer is taken from Isaiah 56. And you have made it a den of robbers is taken from Jeremiah 11. And Jesus pieces these two prophecies together to teach us something important about the temple. And if we're going to hear what he has to say, we have to look at these two prophecies. And I want us to start this morning with Jeremiah 7 because I want us to first see what it is that Jesus sees going on in the temple. What is it that has Jesus so angry? And then once we have seen what Jesus is protesting, we will turn to Isaiah 56 to understand what Jesus thinks ought to have been going on in the temple. So let's start with Jeremiah chapter 7. Turn there with me. Jeremiah chapter 7. The the verse we are going to be looking at is verse 11. But in order to hear that in context, I actually want to start reading at verse 1. So Jeremiah chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. This is page 634, if you're using one of the Pew Bibles. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word. And say, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter the gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another... If you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal 
murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. So here is the the prophecy that Jesus is referring to. And you do you understand what is going on here? Jeremiah is speaking to the people of Judah. He's speaking to them sometime before the exile. An exile that he has been warning them about for years. An exile that he has been telling the people is coming. And why is God threatening to exile his people? Why is God threatening to to drive his people out of the land of Canaan? Out of the land that he he promised to Abraham and to his children? Why is is he promising to take them out of the promised land? Jeremiah tells us. That this exile is coming because of their hard hearts and high-handed sins. They have not honored God as God by obeying His commandments. They have not served Him by serving their neighbors in love. Rather, each man has done what is right in his own eyes. Each man has, has served his own interests before all others. Each man has basically done whatever he wants. We see this in verse 5. Notice how Jeremiah describes the people. He he says to them, Amend your ways and your deeds. Execute justice with one another. Do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow. Do not shed innocent blood. Do not go after other gods to your own harm. Think about it. That that Jeremiah is telling them to stop doing these things means that, that these are the very things that the people have been doing. Jeremiah is describing the people of Judah And for years he has been warning them that that because they live this way, God's judgment is coming. God's judgment looms on the horizon. And if they want to avoid that judgment, if they want to escape the coming wrath of God, Jeremiah has told them again and again, the only way is to repent. The only way is to amend their ways and their deeds. But the people don't believe it. The people won't Listen to them. They they simply will not believe that God's judgment is aimed at them. Why? What is the the source of their absolute confidence? Why are they so sure that that God is, is pleased with them? Why are they so sure that God would never judge them? The answer is in verse 4. The people are sure God is pleased with them. The people are sure that God will never judge them. Why? Because they worship in the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The the temple of the Lord. How could God possibly judge those who worship here? Look again at verses 9 through 10. The Lord asks, will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house? That's what they're doing. They, they, they live immorally. They live unrighteously. Then they come into the house of the God, into the house of the Lord, and they say, we are delivered, for we worship in the temple of the Lord. And then they go out and continue doing all of these abominations. They do all sorts of evil. 
They, they oppressed the poor. They committed adultery. They, they worship false gods, but they think they are safe from God's judgment because they worship in the temple. They think so long as they worship in the temple, God will be pleased, regardless of what they do outside the temple. And it is for this reason that the Lord asks, has my house become a den of robbers in your eyes? A den of robbers, a a robber's den, is a place where robbers are safe. There's a place where they can hang out without fear. It is like base in a game of tag. Have you ever played that game? Maybe when you were a child, you, you run around and you try not to get caught. But if you're on base, then you're safe. Then those who are it can't get you. And that's exactly the way that the people of Judah saw the temple of the Lord. It was their base. It was where they were safe. It was to them a robber's den. It was a place where those who were engaged in all sorts of immorality outside the temple could come and be delivered. And so the critique is is not that the people are engaged in immorality in the temple. That's not what Jeremiah is saying. But rather the critique is that people think that the temple is that which protects them from the immorality that they engage in outside the temple. They think that worship in the temple protects them from the consequences of all that they do out in the real world. A den of robbers is a place of safety where robbers may find refuge. And this is what the temple had become in the eyes of the people. And we need to hear this when we read Jesus' condemnation of the temple in his day. Think about what is Jesus asking when he says, you have have made my house a den of robbers. When we hear that, we we naturally think that he's talking about the extortion that's going on in the the temple courts. And and there is no doubt that that extortion angered Jesus. There's, There's no doubt that he was upset about what he saw going on in the courts of the temple. But given what we've seen in Jeremiah, it would seem that Jesus' critique goes deeper than that. Jesus is not so much condemning the priest for selling animals and and exchanging money at exorbitant rates. Yes, that is wrong, and yes, that is blameworthy. But Jesus is condemning them for an even greater offense. Not only are the priests stealing from the people, they are actually putting their souls in eternal peril by speaking to them deceptive words. You see, the priests had told the people that as long as they came to the temple, and as long as they offered the approved animal, and as long as they paid the right tax with the right currency, then they would be fine. Then God would be pleased. They would be safe from His judgment. Regardless of what they did when they lived outside the temple, if they went through the external motions of religion, that was enough. That was all that God required. The priest had failed to call the people to true repentance. They had failed to to call the people to amend their ways and deeds. Like the false prophets of old, they had spoken to the people deceptive words. They had said, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And in so doing, they had turned the temple into a den of robbers, a place where those engaged in immorality could come and find safety. 
And I want to suggest to you that this is a warning that we in the church need to hear this morning, especially this time of year. Obviously, we do not have a physical temple today. The temple in which Jesus stood on that day was destroyed in 70 A.D. But do you remember what Jesus said about himself? He said that he was the temple. Jesus is the eternal word come to tabernacle among us. Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will build it again in three days. Referring not to the the stone structure he saw in Jerusalem, but referring to his own body. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament temple. He is the presence of God among his people. He is Emmanuel. And therefore, we must hear Jesus' warning about the temple as a warning about himself. Jesus is warning us not to think of him as a den of robbers. But what would it mean to think of Jesus as a den of robbers? What would that that even mean? It seems that it would mean thinking that we are safe from God's judgment. So long as we praise in Jesus' name... So long as we come to the appointed times of worship, so long as we do uh, pay the appointed tax, so long as we profess faith, so long as we go through the external motions of worship, then we will be safe. And I want to say to you this morning that we must not believe such deceptive words. Especially this time of year when everybody seems to be singing the praises of Jesus. The baby born in Bethlehem. We must not believe that the external motions of religion are enough. You cannot live as you please and then find refuge in Jesus. You cannot find refuge in our temple Jesus if you are doing immorality outside the temple. God is not impressed when we worship Him with our lips while our hearts remain far from Him. Faith cannot be separated from repentance. James tells us that a faith that that does not express itself in good works, a, a faith that does not express itself in amended ways and deeds, is a dead faith that cannot save. If you will not have Jesus as your Lord, you cannot have Him as your Savior. And therefore I say to you this morning that if you would know the true joy of Christmas, the true joy of Jesus coming, then you must bow to Him as your rightful and sovereign King. For Jesus will not be a den for robbers. Jesus, our true temple, will not give refuge to those with hard and unrepentant hearts. So this is first. Jesus condemns the priests and the scribes for teaching the people to trust in the external motions of of religion. He, He condemns them for separating worship from life and thereby giving the people false hope, thereby proclaiming peace when there is no peace. As I said, this is a warning that we need to hear today. But, even as we hear this warning, let us not miss the second part of what Jesus says. For as Jesus drives out those who sold from the temple, he also says, My house shall be a house of prayer. That line comes out of Isaiah 56. So turn there with me. Turn to Isaiah 56. Isaiah 
Again, I want to start reading with the, the first verse. Thus says the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord and to be His servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbaths and does not profane it and holds fast My covenant, these I will bring to My holy mountain and make them joyful in My house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on My altar, for My house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Again, do you you hear what's what's going on here? In verses 1 and 2, the Lord says that those who walk in the footsteps of faith will know His salvation. Now, it's important for us to to recognize that this is is not works righteousness. We we read these verses in the context of all of Scripture, and so we know that that keeping justice and, and doing righteousness are not the works that we do in order to earn God's favor or to earn His blessing, but rather they are the embodiment, the the outworking of true faith. This is faith expressing itself in love and good works. And the Lord is saying that the one who truly regards Him as Lord, the one who bows to Him as King and lives out His faith, that one will be saved. The Lord is is therefore calling the people to walk before Him in obedient faith. It's the same thing we saw in in Jeremiah 7. True faith is obedient faith. True faith is, is repentant faith. But notice what the Lord says next through the prophet Isaiah. Verse 3. He says, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. In other words, the Lord is saying that his salvation is not for Israel only, but rather it is a salvation that is for all who believe. The foreigner who believes and and bows to the Lord as his Lord will be Saved. He he will never be cut off. He will never be cast aside. On the contrary, he will be blessed. And he says the same thing of the the eunuch. The eunuch who walks in the footsteps of faith, keeping the Lord's Sabbaths and holding fast to his covenant. He will be blessed with an inheritance greater than many sons and daughters. And notice what he says in verse 7. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. This is what Isaiah means when he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. The temple is the place where people may call upon the name of the Lord and be heard. The temple is the place where God has chosen to make Himself available not only to Israel, but to any and all who would come. 
Robbers can find no refuge there. Robbers who who live with hard and unrepentant hearts cannot be safe simply by coming to the temple. But any man, any woman, any child who comes to the temple in faith will be received. That's what Paul says in in Romans chapter 10, quoting yet another Old Testament prophecy, Joel chapter 2, verse 32. Everyone, everyone, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever you are, if you call upon His name, you will be saved. And this is what it means to say that the temple will be called a house of prayer. The temple is the place where prayers offered in faith will be heard. And with this in mind, think again about what Jesus is saying as He cleanses the temple When Jesus quotes Isaiah 56 and says that my house shall be a house of prayer, He is saying that this is what the temple is meant to be. The the faithlessness of the the priest in no way uh, spoils the faithfulness of God and in no way undermines the, the promise of the temple. The temple was where God chose to make Himself known and that temple has now found its fulfillment in Christ. Jesus is the temple. Jesus is where the Father may be found. He is the way into the Father's presence. He is our temple. And He is our house of prayer. If we come to Him in faith, we will be heard. All who call upon His name will be saved. This is what Jesus means when He says the temple will be a house of prayer. He's talking about Himself. He is saying, I am the house of prayer. You have spoken deceptive words to the people. You have spoken peace when there is no peace. You have told them that the external motions of religion are enough. And it is a lie. But the promise still stands. Those who come to the temple, those who come to me in faith, will never be cast aside. They will never be cast away. Those who come to me in faith, their offerings will be received upon my altar. Their worship will be acceptable. They will be blessed with a blessing far greater than many sons and daughters. Their inheritance, even as we heard in the call to worship this morning, will be undefiled, unfading, indescribable, indestructible. It will be an inheritance for all eternity. This is what is ours in Christ. This is what has been made available in the temple. And this is what is offered to all who call upon Him in the prayer of faith. That is the good news of Christmas. That is what we celebrate. Emmanuel is not good news for those who will not acknowledge him as king. The presence of God is a terrifying thing for those who are unrepentant, for he is a consuming fire. But if you come to him in faith, if you come to him bowing the knee and confessing with your mouth that he is your Lord and king, if you will repent and turn from your sins and acknowledge him as your God, then you will be blessed with a blessing beyond imagination. For this is what the king came to bring to his subjects. Subjects who had rebelled against him, but who have now been reconciled through the shedding of his own blood. This is the good news of Christmas. This is what we celebrate. And this is the good news that we proclaim to the ends of the earth, that all might hear it, that all might believe, and that all might call upon His name and be saved. Do you believe it?
Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we do rejoice in Your goodness. And we pray, Father, that You would cause this Gospel to fill up our hearts, to transform our minds, to renew our lives, and to bring forth fruit in abundance to the praise of Your glory. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.